In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, it's Tamara. Just a quick note before we get into this week's episode that starting next week, the show is going to come out on Thursdays instead of Fridays. So keep an eye on your feed for that and don't miss it. So the holidays are coming up and for a lot of us, fingers crossed, this will be the first time in three years that things are going to feel normal. No more lockdowns or social distancing or bubbles. But there is at least one place in the world where people don't have that freedom. China is now seeing its largest surge in cases since the beginning of the pandemic, already threatening to strain the healthcare system, even with COVID zero in place. Three years into the pandemic, the Chinese government's been sticking to its policy of zero COVID, meaning strict isolation or quarantine, mass testing, and shutting down businesses every time there is an outbreak, even if it's just a handful of cases. Tens of millions of people have been living under some kind of lockdown, and their patience is running out. This week, there were protests across the country in at least 18 cities in the largest and most sustained show of defiance against the COVID-19 rules since they were put in place. Megumi Lim is a video journalist who works mainly with ITV News, and she was at the protest in Beijing. So on Sunday night at 9 p.m., I headed over to Liang Maha, which is a canal that runs around central Beijing. And um, there was already a big crowd of people that had gathered there. They were lighting candles, um, offering flowers. The event started out as a vigil for 10 people who died a few days earlier in an apartment building fire in Urumqi. That's the capital of the Xinjiang province, which has been under lockdown for around three months. The local governments denied this, but there are a lot of angry questions online about whether the deaths happened because of zero COVID-related restrictions, whether firefighters and people trying to escape were blocked by locked doors. But the vigil quickly evolved into something bigger. Already they were chanting slogans and holding up blank pieces of of paper to protest censorship. When I arrived, it was about 50 people, but quickly swelled to, you know, like hundreds, hundreds of people. And as the crowd grew bigger, more police arrived um, to cordon off the area and they, they started ordering people to leave, to go home. Mm-hmm. And in normal times, this would be enough to scare people off. You know, China is a police state and there's no room for public dissent. People know the risks. But that night, people ignored those orders and began to march. And that was pretty incredible. They were shouting, we don't want lockdowns anymore, lift lockdowns, we want 
um, freedom. We don't want COVID tests. We want, and, and, and at some point, people started shouting, we want democracy, we want human rights. So it was really about how, how much they wanted freedom uh, and how much they were so sick of these stringent COVID measures that they've been living under. Similar protests were happening in other major cities, like Urumqi itself, one of the most surveilled parts of the country. In Wuhan, the city where the pandemic started, people were breaking down metal barricades and COVID testing tents. And in one of the boldest rallies in Shanghai, people were calling for President Xi Jinping to step down. This week on the show, we're going to look at the frustration that's been driving people to protest China's COVID zero approach, what it's been like to live in the only major country trying to completely stamp out the virus, and why China's government is unlikely to fully bend to the protesters' demands. I'm Tamara Kandaker, and you're listening to Nothing is Foreign. So I, I want to talk a bit about what drove people to the streets. It sounds like this fire that broke out in Urumqi that you you mentioned earlier uh, that killed 10 people. Um, it, it seems like that is what tipped things over the edge, but that's not the first incident like this. And these protests didn't come out of nowhere. This frustration has been brewing for a while. And can you talk about some of the other incidents linked to the COVID zero policies that had people questioning the the COVID zero approach? There's been several incidents that have angered people and made people question why this policy exists, especially because they're supposedly there to protect them. There have been uh, people dying because or or not getting the medical care they need because of lockdown measures. <laughs> <laughs> the local government killed my dad, he tells me, breaking down in tears. His 58-year-old father needed emergency medical help when their building was locked down. He says there were no COVID cases in the building, but China seals off entire neighborhoods, even when there are only suspected cases nearby. For example... A few weeks ago, there was a baby girl who was in quarantine, a four-month-old baby actually, was in quarantine with her parents. And she was vomiting and had diarrhea, and the parents were frantically trying to get um, medical care to her. But because they were in quarantine, and I think the mother had tested positive, the paramedics refused to see the baby until they had all got, gotten tested. Um, and uh, in the end, the baby died and it was just tragic. And, you know, again, there was an outpouring of anger online. People saw videos of the mother talking about what happened. The father was also mm -hmm. posting what happened online. Another incident last week, protests broke out at a massive Foxconn factory in Zhengzhou. It's the largest manufacturer uh, of iPhones. Since October, the Foxconn plant has been sealed off from the outside world after a COVID outbreak that forced employees to live and work on site. 
the protest escalated into the evening, workers tearing down COVID barriers, using metal beams against police. Masses of them hurling metal parts towards law enforcement, even using a COVID barrier as a shield against rows of authorities. The workers tore down fences to escape lockdown, smashed test booth windows and confronted police in hazmat suits. And they were very angry because they were asked to work under lockdown and in pretty miserable conditions. And they were promised extra pay, but they never received that extra pay, that bonus. Yeah, yeah. I, I've seen the videos from the, the Foxconn factory and they're they're super dramatic. Like these people are jumping over fences and and walking alongside traffic on these busy roads to get away from the factory. The other thing um, that I wanted to bring up was the, the World Cup. People in China, I saw, saw the World Cup happening and were kind of shocked to see that there's thousands of people who are maskless. There's no mask. Why? Chinese is different from the rest of the world. Because our body condition is weaker or the Omicron in China is stronger. There's supposed to be a reasonable reason. There's no reason at all. They just force us to stay at home. Did you hear people talking about that at all? Yeah. So at the protest on Sunday, people were shouting and, you know, um, chanting about uh, what they saw. Um, you know, they were chanting uh, things like, are they wearing masks at the World Cup? No. You know, are mm. are people social distancing at the World Cup? No. And, you know, they're, they're aware that you know, they've become so isolated from the rest of the world. They are the ones still masking. They're the ones still social distancing. They're the ones, people in China are still staying at home and having to go under lockdown. And then seeing this on TV is just extremely jarring. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. I can't imagine it probably would feel like you're living on another planet. I, I really want to understand what day-to-day -day life has been like under these policies and why people have been driven to the streets, right? So say you're a healthy person and you're living in an area that isn't under lockdown. What are the rules that you have to live under? So if you're a healthy person and uh, if there are no cases where you live, for example, um, you would still have to test every other day because if, for example, the province that you live in and the district, the area that you live in, if there are cases popping up outside of where you live, it's still considered um, a higher risk. And so ever since the arrival of the Omicron variant, officials, local officials here, and I have to say that a lot of these um, policies, COVID policies are implemented on a local level. So they vary from place to place. But mm -hmm. ever since the arrival of the Omicron variant, testing has become a major part of China's zero COVID policies. Here's a testing booth. I walked around in this area for about five minutes and already found about five testing booths. In the three kilometers distance, um, you can see that there are one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight PCR test centers around me. So even, even if there are no cases near you, or in the neighborhood where you live, you still have to get tested every day because um, to enter any um, building, shop, restaurant, or to use public transport, you need to present a negative test result. But it's it's just been a bit confusing because they they do these policies do change um, based on the on the situation. 
And so I understand your test results would show up um, on this app, kind of like a passport system that you download. And if you're okay, then you're code green, right? If you're not, what happens? Like what happens if you test positive? Yeah, that's the the worst thing that could happen is that if you test positive, so you would have, um, yeah, your health code, it's called the, the uh, health code or health kit. And you would either get a pop-up or it would turn red or orange. And you would get a phone call from an epidemic prevention official and your neighborhood committee to say that someone will come pick you up. And it's very sudden. So you have to prepare very quickly, get your stuff, and they they will come in their hazmat suits, pick you up, and send you to a quarantine facility if you test wow. positive. You, I've not heard of anyone who have tested positive who was allowed to recover at home comfortably. It's it's mm. it's not allowed. You will be sent to these facilities. A lot of people have seen videos online of uh, these facilities and how bleak they are. Sometimes you don't even get private rooms. Uh, it's in yeah. it's in like an expo hall with beds, like hundreds of beds next to each other. Um, and and it's, it's just not an ideal place to recover from COVID. At this COVID-19 quarantine facility in the Chinese city of Shanghai, people lie in rows of camp beds, separated by less than an arm's length, their suitcases and other belongings strewn next to them. So that's like regular life. You're getting tested all the time. But the other thing that you have to worry about is the possibility of getting stuck in a lockdown, right? Which can happen at any time, basically. And you just got out of a lockdown. And can you tell me about that and and what happened? Yeah, so I came out of lockdown last week, um, right on my birthday, (laughs) Um, oh my gosh. It was interesting because uh, we didn't actually have a positive case in our compound. I heard that a delivery driver who tested positive came through and it was kind of just being careful uh, on the side of local officials and um, our neighborhood committee here. They just wanted to be careful and cautious. So they it was quite sudden. They announced it at 6 p.m. in the evening and said that by 7 p.m., all the gates will be sealed and closed. So An hour's notice. Yeah, one hour. So I went downstairs. I was at home at the time. I went downstairs and I could see like cars driving out, trying to escape and people just frantically trying to get to the store to get food um, to stock up because it's it, usually at that point, it's unclear how long the lockdown will be. So mm-hmm. that wasn't even a positive case within in our compound but just someone who passed through passed through yeah yeah that's pretty intense and so once that happens what are the rules that you have to follow so in our case um it was quite mild uh because there was no positive case actually within our compound they allowed us to walk our dogs uh take a walk outside um we just had to stay within those gates because we live Mm -hmm. in a gated apartment area but this is not the first time this has happened i my apartment compound went into lockdown earlier this year uh this summer actually in 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 june 
And I had just traveled back from Germany and finished two weeks of quarantine in a hotel. When I was released from quarantine, I received a message that my apartment compound was going in, into lockdown because there was actually a positive case. And at the time, it was a lot stricter where the compound went into lockdown for a whole two weeks and people were not allowed to leave their apartments at all. I could not go home. I wasn't planning to go back into lockdown. So I had to stay with a at a friend's apartment. Um, but I was hearing news about what was happening inside and and how difficult it was and how um, there were hazmat suit, suited people everywhere guarding the entrance area of different buildings and how they installed magnetic sens sensors on people's doors to monitor whether someone had left their apartment. Um, so yeah, it was very strict. This all started in museums and galleries. Now it's in classrooms in country towns. This should not be here. It's a human being in a box. This is the stuff of empires. There is a great betrayal. We're not slaves, we're African. It's the stuff the British stole. I just don't believe that. It just does not stand up. From ABC Australia and CBC Podcasts, six brand new podcast episodes for free worldwide, available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. The other thing I was wondering about is what kind of support do people get from the government if they are forced to be in lockdown and can't, you know, go to work, um, kids can't go to school, like, what does the government do to to help people who are in that situation? Because, you know, when I've read about this in, in various places, that's kind of one of the defenses that people have of the COVID zero policy. Like they say in China, it's possible to do this because the government helps people and in North America, this probably wouldn't be able to pull this off. So, so yeah, can you talk about that a little bit? You know, whenever uh, there's been pretty hard lockdowns in certain areas. They've tried to deliver food. I know this has not always worked out where people have almost starved and have complained that they have not gotten food in days. And um, But, but you know, the food is, is free and they're uh, distributed um, in certain communities. And there are these workers who are there to um, deliver them. And, and also these test booths, um, all the tests have been free and they are able to sort of continue in a way participating in normal life um, because of these, I guess, in a weird way, support that the, the government has provided so that people can follow those rules. So the way that the Chinese government is selling this policy to the public right now is... We've seen millions of deaths in Western countries. By comparison, the death toll in China is still very low. The messaging is that this is a very scary virus and that it's too dangerous to lift restrictions. Could the government move away from zero COVID if they wanted to at this point? At this point, no. Um, 
vaccination rates are pretty low in China, especially among the elderly. Um, so the reason for this is that zero COVID was working pretty well up until the Omicron variant. Um, for you know, at least the first two years of the pandemic, after things had settled down in Wuhan, life went on pretty normally. Um, it, it felt like you know, while the rest of the world was going through a difficult time, it actually in China it was it was um, pretty normal, and you could go out and you could you didn't have to be afraid of of getting infected because there were so few cases, um, and this meant that people didn't really see the incentive to get vaccinated. And for a while, there was a lot of information going around, especially among the elderly, that there are side effects, there are risks that comes with getting vaccinated. And I think those information have um, kind of uh, scared them away and caused this vaccine hesitancy. If China opens up now, um, they're not geared to... Uh, take in an influx of, of patients who might get severe COVID. Um, there's less than four intensive care beds for every 100,000 people in China, and the hospitals are not prepared to take care of um, COVID patients if there is a huge yeah. rise yeah, in cases right now. I understand why people were hesitant to get vaccinated or they didn't have like the motivation to get vaccinated. But I'm wondering, why didn't the government invest more in building up this hospital infrastructure or like push people to get vaccinated? I think to a certain extent, they did feel like zero COVID is working. There was such a fear surrounding this virus and how, you know, they just didn't want to take any risks. So the, the the sort of knee-jerk reaction would be to shape a policy based on this goal that they want to stamp out any, any cases um, when they see one. So in order to do that, it's all about uh, implementing contact tracing. It's about building these massive facilities they could send people to to recover from COVID and to sort of isolate these cases and to tamp them down before they, they spread. Um, instead of preparing, sort of like thinking ahead and preparing for cases to just rise and spread and, you know, think about what they would do then. It's about how can we keep COVID cases zero? <laughs> You've been in China since the pandemic started. Do you feel like a lot of people are just really used to living under these policies at this point? Yeah, um, I think people have grown accustomed to a lot of people have grown accustomed to this zero COVID policy. Of course, there, there's been protests and there is frustration, but to a certain extent, you know, people have felt safe because of this policy. I have an example uh, that I want to talk about in Shijia Zhuang, a capital city of Hebei. There's tw 11 million people living there and Hebei is a neighboring province of, of Beijing. Um, and, and in Mid-November, there were rumors that the city would become a test case for easing mm -hmm. key parts of zero COVID. And officials actually uh, briefly removed requirements for mass testing and 
reopen schools and allow people to enter public places without a negative test, even though there were cases in that area. Um, but instead of celebrating this freedom, the city remained quiet and many parents kept children at home from school. And officials also received panicked requests to reinforce these, some of these measures because people were afraid. So what has been the government's response to these protests so far? Is there any sign that they're going to loosen these restrictions? I don't think there will be a loosening of restrictions, especially now where um, COVID cases are reaching record levels every day. Um, But there was a press briefing held by the National Health Commission where top health officials did talk about their, their policies, their COVID measures. And this was the first time since protests erupted. And um, officials promised to make changes to COVID measures, but uh, they didn't refer directly to the protests. And they also deflected blame from the policy itself, saying that the problem stemmed from local officials implementing them too excessively. So it shouldn't be a one-size-fits-all policy where you know lockdowns should be lifted if, if the outbreak had already been brought under control. So local officials should be sensitive to people's needs and demands. So that, that's been the response from the government side. And uh, in terms of from President Xi Jinping himself, he was busy meeting with the Mongolian president in Beijing on Monday, a day after the protest, and, and has not made any, any comments. Um, but he is, an, he is known as a leader who who is obsessed with security and stability. And and right now, I think he is facing the biggest threat to his role since he took power. Yeah. And, you know, three years of zero COVID has, has taken a huge toll on the economy and have really affected people's livelihoods. Um, but, you know, I don't think that a hard crackdown on, on protests is something China needs right now, especially when the economy is so hurt. Um, so... Yeah, it remains to be seen how he will deal with this situation. Yeah. And and what about the protests, do you think? I mean, it seems like they've fizzled out a little bit for now, but without any change to the policy and, um, you know, continuing these lockdowns, if and if cases continue to rise, like, do you think we're going to see more protests? Is this unrest going to grow? I know it's kind of hard to speculate, but where do you see things going It is hard to speculate because I think there is an appetite for it, but it's so hard to organize. We're still seeing um, protests erupting in places, happening in places outside of Beijing where lockdown communities break down barricades and escape lockdown. Every day you see videos circulating um, of angry residents, you know, facing off, confronting uh, police in hazmat suits. So I think... I think protests of this nature will continue, but, you know, at least for Beijing, what we're seeing here is that people are struggling to to organize. Um, the past two days, Monday and Tuesday after Sunday's protest, we've seen posts online where people have announced gatherings. And whenever we've been to that location, there's already police cars everywhere. There's police patrolling the area. And even as journalists, we we couldn't stay in that 
that location. They they checked our passports, they checked our IDs, and told us to leave. And there were no protests, the protesters. Um, so yeah, I think it, it will be very difficult to keep that momentum. So yeah, it's hard to say if um, people in China, people in Beijing, find a way to keep protesting or if it will fizzle out. Okay, well, we will definitely be following. Meg, thank you so much for this. This was really interesting. Thanks for all of your insight and, um, and your reporting. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. So since I talked to Megumi, there have been some developments, signals that China could be easing its stance on zero COVID. On Thursday, dozens of districts in Shanghai and Guangzhou, both cities with rising case numbers, were released from lockdown. We've also seen some rules being relaxed in communities in Beijing and Chongqing. This all comes as China's vice premier, Sun Chunlan, announced that the country was facing a, quote, new situation. As more people get vaccinated, the Omicron variant's ability to cause disease is weaker, and the government has more experience containing the virus. Whether the government will make a more dramatic shift away from zero COVID policies remains to be seen. All right, that's all for this week. Thank you so much for listening. Our producer is Joyta Shangupta, and our sound designer is Graham McDonald. Our senior producer is Elaine Chow. The executive producer of Nothing is Foreign is Nick McCabe-Locos. Nothing is Foreign is a co-production of CBC News and CBC Podcasts. Our theme music is by Joseph Shabison. If you like this episode, take a second to rate and review us wherever you're listening. It really helps new listeners find the show. You can also find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at CBC Podcasts. I'm Tamara Kandacker. Thank you so much for listening, and I will talk to you back here next week. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.